2 Samuel chapter number 6 in your Bible. I hope you're getting your weekly devotions from the Sunday School program we're doing, Building Faithful Families for the Future. I had several people at the sing and wonder when we're building onto our church and saw that wall out there. But uh, we've really enjoyed this program. And each week we've been dealing with the subject of building and uh, the foundation, the cornerstone, the walls. And today we've been in Second Samuel 6 about inviting God into your house, inviting God into your home. Uh, I don't know of anybody that's ever built a home that didn't have an open house and welcome their guest to look and see what they've done whatever the project might be. And I want to tell you something, when it comes to a faithful family, the greatest person that can live under the roof of your home is God himself. Joshua said, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You remember when God came to Hezekiah and said, you got 15 years, buddy, you better get your house in order. And I believe that our homes, instead of being a place of fussing and fighting and division and strife, I believe it ought to be a place of rest. I believe it ought to be a place of holiness. I believe our our homes ought to be a place where we can live together in peace and harmony and blessing. And I found out through my own life and pastoring a church for 38 years and counseling scores of people, money don't buy a family. Now, you got to have it. You young fellas that's interested in getting a girl and one day becoming a husband, the greatest thing you can do to get her family to like you is have a job. Can I get a witness in the church house and keep it and show up for it? And give her the money when you get home. And all of God's women are nodding on that one. And most people I preach for, I just say, make the check out to Julie Elizabeth Arthur. She's going to get it anyway. But money can't buy a home. Uh, Boats and cars and all kind of extra things are nice if you can afford them. But that doesn't make a home. I was listening to Billy Graham one night and he gave this illustration that was a very, very multi-billionaire in Texas that said, my boy is in and out of trouble all the time. Will you talk to him? Will you counsel him? And they set up a place where, where Billy Graham could talk to this young man, 25 years old, drove the best car, wore the best clothes, wore the best jewelry, and had anything and everything that money could buy. And Dr. Graham said to this young man, he said, son, you have what most boys would just dream of having. Most boys would dream of a sports car like that. They would dream of designer clothes like that. They would, they would dream of an unlimited supply of, of a flow of money. And that, and that young man said to Billy Graham, he said, he said, money has never been a problem at our house. I was born in the wealth. My father was born in the wealth. He said, money's never been our problem. And he said, well, son, what is one thing, you know, your daddy's done everything in the world for you. What else could he do for you? And the young man said, I wish once in a while he would tell me no. I wish once in a while he would not let me do certain things. 
And I found out that building a home and having a home that pleases God, you can't buy that with money. You can't obtain that with things. Only God can make that place a haven. And I encourage all you young people starting out, before you do anything, you make God the cornerstone of your family. And I believe the greatest thing we can do it is invite the Lord And I thought about those two disciples on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. Jesus stopped by their house and broke bread with them and revealed unto them the scriptures. I thought about Martha and Mary and Lazarus, how they always made their home available to Jesus to come and fellowship. And that's where Mary would weep at his feet and wait at his feet and worship at his feet and one day break her alabaster box and anointed Jesus with it. And I really believe that America is falling apart at the seams. And I don't believe it's coming out of Washington as bad as it's coming out of the family. I don't think I've ever seen the devil attack anything as strong as he has the Word of God, the church, and the family. Because I believe Satan knows if he destroys our faith in the Word of God, Man, that's our foundation. And I believe the devil knows that a nation or church is made up of individual families. And when those families are wounded, when those families are hurting, the church is hurting, the world is hurting. And let me just say this. If you had a Christian mother and a Christian father, you're blessed. Blessed beyond measure. If, if you have a Christian wife who's a Christian mother, Men, you are blessed beyond measure. Ma'am, if you have a husband that loves God and loves you and treats you like the queen, you are blessed. And I have never met a man full of God and full of the Holy Spirit that's ugly and mean and abusive to his spouse. These guys that want to beat up on somebody, pick you out a man, dude, if you're all that bad. And whoop up on him. But I believe, I believe that our families are a reflection of our walk with God. And Jesus wants your house, he wants your home to be a haven and not a hell. Did you hear what I said? He wants your home to be a haven and not a hell. I used to wonder how many times young people go through a church and they go through a a ministry, and all of a sudden, they're gone. And they flee. They run from that. And uh, your youth pastor, Brother Tom, stays tore up half the time about all of that. I pour my life into him. I pour my life into him. You've got to realize that children have a will just like you had one. They have their own responsibility to accept Christ or reject Christ. And you have no control over that choice. You have no control over that choice. Some parents need to quit beating themselves up on some decision your child made after they got old enough to make their own choice. Well, you say, well, where's our responsibility? We give them the tools. We give them the opportunity. We give them the gospel. We take them to a church where they're taught the Bible in Sunday school, where the gospel is preached on Sunday morning, where the word of God is preached on Sunday night. And I believe God Almighty 
is keeping the score. I believe God Almighty keeps the records. And I want to tell you something tonight. Let's do our best to give our families exactly what they need. When life comes to a push and the family hits a struggle, may we have enough faith, may we have enough anchor of the soul to guide us through the dark times. And I'm going to tell you something. There's going to be some dark times. There's going to be some difficult times. I hope you tonight have a broader view of the family than television, Hollywood, soap operas. I, I hope when Jesus comes, I'll not be found watching soap operas. I rather when Jesus comes find me deer hunting and bass fishing than watching soap operas. You know the Bible said when the Lord comes two be in the field one taken in the other left. Two be grinding at the mill one taken in the other left. Two be in the bed one taken in the other left. Two be watching soap operas and they both get left. It's somewhere in the Bible. But how many was raised in a Christian family? And you've been connected to a Christian family. I think it is wonderful. And I believe tonight that a church, a family, a home, or an individual would hold up up on our doors, to our heart and our families and our church and say, God, you are welcome in this place. And in 2 Samuel chapter number 6 tonight, there's an illustration. The ark of God. The ark of the covenant. That represented God's blessing. That represented God's touch. That represented the presence of God. Where that ark went, the blessing went. Where that ark went, the sweet presence of God went. You could always tell when someone had a right relationship with God. It showed in their life. David is on his way bringing this ark back. And he stops over in verse number 11 at the house of Obed-Edom. And he realizes it's such a great blessing that David finally brings that ark back to the city of David. And let's read about it in verse number 11. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed. Say that with me. And the Lord blessed. Say it again. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom. Say this with me. And all. Of his house. It doesn't say that he was a great manager of finances. It doesn't say he was a man of great wisdom or a man of great talent. You know why God was blessing the house of Obed Edom? Because God was in it. God was there. He makes the difference. In verse number 12, and it was told King David, saying, the Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Eden and all that pertaineth unto him. Say this all on out loud with me. Because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David. And I love the way he emphasizes this. With gladness. David said if it's that big a deal and it's that great a blessing to Obed-Edom. Let's bring this ark back to the Jerusalem, the city of David. And they did that with gladness. I, I was thinking the other day of all the little signs I've seen at 
Cracker Barrel and all these places where you buy stuff. And, and I don't want to offend you ladies, but what do you get out of all that stuff? Uh, how, how many of you men can't sit out on your couch because you have to move 4,199 pillows? And I purposely don't see any need to make up a bed if you're going to get back in it that night. I feel your pain. You want to do what? I've, Shane sees no need of making up his bed because he's going to get back in it in just a moment. But my mama had all these things, and she called them whatnots. Let me tell you what nights are. They are dust collectors. And boy, there's places that have all of these signs and little plaques you put up. As I said this morning, one day somebody made a plaque, I made a statement and somebody got a hold of it and put it on a plaque and made money. Not the guy that said it, but the person that put it on the plaque. And I got to thinking of all the Christian homes I've gone in through the years and the little signs of plaques I've seen on the wall. Jack and Barbara, I miss them so much. They're with the Lord. They used to have a little sign, two old crows live here. I showed that to Julie when we first met them. She said, yeah, they're going to say at our house one day two old cranky buzzards live here. But I've seen this before on the walls. I saw this before. Fear not tomorrow, God is already there. I've seen this one through the years. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And one that stands out to me I've seen through the years is God bless this house. Say that with me tonight. God bless this house. And I believe tonight it ought to be the goal and the aspiration and the aim of every Christian family for God to bless this house. And as we've been studying on that, I came to 2 Samuel 6 and I saw where the house of Obed-Edom and even later the house of David was blessed because the ark of the covenant was there. And I got to thinking, just an article of furniture. I mean, most people, look, that's just an article of furniture connected back to the tabernacle years before that. What could that little article of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant, what could be so special about that that would bring the blessings of God to that house? Well, I began to study my Bible, what the Ark of the Covenant represented. And then I was reminded, that's why it was so important. Now, number one tonight, what does the Ark of the Covenant represent? It represents the manifested presence of God. You remember in the tabernacle on the Day of Atonement, the Shekinah cloud would come and God would dwell with his people between the cherubims that rested on the Ark of the Covenant. It represented the manifested presence presence of God. You could feel God there. You could meet with God there. You could sense that God was there because he was dwelling on the ark of the covenant. It stood for the presence of God, that God was dwelling with his people. May I say this tonight? The greatest thing could ever be said about a local church is we meet with God. Gerald Wolf texted me late Saturday night and said, we met with God 
tonight. Man, you can have a building, you can have pews, you can have talent, you can have the function. But I want to tell you what makes it real, what makes it life-giving, what makes it eternal, has an eternal effect is when God meets with his people. It's just not Bethel, the house of God. It is El Bethel, that God is at home in his house. The greatest thing that could be said about any church is I felt God in that place. I met with God in that place. And I'm glad there are churches where you can meet with God. I'm glad you can worship God there. But I'll tell you something. If if church was the only place I met with God and felt God, uh, I'd be of all men most miserable. But I'm glad we can feel the presence of God in our homes. And in our family, I remember many, many years ago, Kurt LeBeau and I were traveling together. And yes, I was driving. But man, I've heard other people say, no better than I drive, Kurt could have been driving. But I do drive better than a blind man, some. And uh, it it was so late, he didn't have time for somebody to come to Carrollton to give him. We lived at the first parsonage of church home over there at... uh, 822 Cone Road, Forest Park. I've lived among the richest people in the world, brother. I've lived in Forest Park, Georgia. We got there about 1 o'clock in the morning. The kids was in bed. Miss Arthur finally let us in after we banged on the door about 30 minutes. And I just walked in my home and I began to cry. And Kurt heard me. He said, are you okay, brother Joe? I said, Kurt, I can't explain this. I feel God in this home. I feel God in this place. He said, well, I got a Christian home too. I said, we ain't in yours. We're in mine right now. And I just felt the sweet presence of the Lord. You say, did you and her ever argue? I'm not talking about that tonight. Did you and her have a disagreement? I'm not talking about that tonight. But I'm talking about overall, the sweet presence of the Lord can fill your house. How many believe tonight that scripture is true? Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. How many believe at a church on Sunday morning like we did today, I thought the roof was going to come off. And how many believe like tonight, we're together in Jesus' name and we're agreeing with Jesus' name and we can all leave saying, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Well, if two or three are gathered together in God's name and that happens at church, how come two and three can't get together at the house in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit around the Word of God and feel the presence of God in our home? Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ wants to be worshipped and served and honored in your family as much as He does inside of the local church. Because that ark represented the presence of God. But it goes deeper than that. It not only represents presence, but it represents propitiation. Or let me use an Old Testament word, pardon. You see, because Israel had broken the commandment. Because they had sinned against the God of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Because they invoked the wrath of God upon them for their sin, God devised a means 
He said on the day of atonement, if you'll get that lamb and kill it out in the brazen altar and bring its blood into the holy of holies, Because in that holies of holies was that ark of the covenant. But does anybody remember what was on top of the ark of the covenant? The golden lid called the mercy seat. And it was on top of that golden lid called the mercy seat where the blood that was shed at the brazen altar was put. And when that high priest sprinkled that blood on the mercy seat, God was atoning, God was perpetuating, God was pardoning the sins of his people. It rolled away the wrath and the judgment and it paid the debt for one whole year. Then the next year they would have to come back and the lamb would have to die. Blood would have to be shed. The blood would have to be applied and the perpetuation of the pardon of God would come again. Israel could fellowship with the holy God of heaven because their sin had been atoned, pardoned, and perpetuated. They could call themselves the nation of Jehovah God. They could worship God. They could sing the songs of God. They could fellowship with God because the payment had been paid. And for one year, their sin was covered, pitched, atoned, and pardoned. Oh, let me tell you the greatest thing that can happen to any family is the propitiating, pardoning, atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Get a hold of mama and get a hold of daddy and get a hold of them children. The greatest way to have a Christian family is for dad to have his sins forgiven and mama have her sins forgiven and the children have their sins forgiven. Well, glory. That ark of the covenant with the presence of the Lord upon it spells forgiveness. The payment's been made. The propitiation has been extended. Pardon has been granted. A debt has been paid. The wrath of God for my sin has been rolled back for a year. And you say, well, why are you so excited? Because I've got something better than that. You say, what could be better than that? 2,000 years ago, the type was fulfilled. And 2,000 years ago, on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross. And the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world died on the brazen altar of bloody Calvary. But thank God our great high priest, who was the Lamb, walked into the third heaven and put his eternal blood on the mercy seat of God. And my sins have been atoned and perpetuated and pardoned, not for a month, not for a year, not for five days, not for a decade, but for time and eternity, forever and ever. Christ will be my Savior because the blood saved me forever. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Boy, no wonder that ark meant so much because it spoke of pardon and propitiation. I'm glad I'm saved tonight. I'm glad my wife is married to a saved man. She's not married to a flawless man. No, she's not married to a perfect man. She's not married to a hunk of a man. She is married to a chunk of a man. But I'm glad she's married to a saved man. 
There was a lot of things I couldn't give her. There's a lot of things I couldn't give my family. And there's a lot of things I'll not be able to leave my grandchildren with. But I can leave her and them and them grandkids with this. I know God. I know the Lord. And I've been atoned and perpetuated and pardoned and saved and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to thank the Lord that for 38 years next week, Julie and I, the Lord willing, will celebrate 38 years of marriage. In fact, we're going to be leaving Tuesday. I hardly ever do this, but she and I are going to get away for a day or two. Man, I got some things I want to settle with her. And I'm glad for all of these years, God let me be married to a saved woman. If you could hear some of the horror stories, what some of my friends have lived in, some of them pastors and preachers, trying to serve God, and their greatest hindrance was right beside of them. That blows my mind. I'm so thankful God let me marry a saved wife. One of the very first arguments we got into, we hadn't been married long. And I looked at her and I said, bless God, you're not saved. And she said, well, you're not a preacher. I said, yes, I am a preacher. She said, I'm a saved person. I said, I don't believe you're saved. Anybody you're saved act like that. She said, preachers don't act like that either. Don't look at me. We'll talk to your kids. Yours may be even worse than ours. And finally I said, how do you know you're saved? Boy, she put a testimony on me, told me where she was, when she was, what she got said. I even questioned my salvation after a little bit of that. Oh, we're not perfect. We're not sinless. We have problems just like you do. But I am so glad that she's had a saved husband. I'm so, so glad I've had a saved wife. What used to really bother me, the devil would work on my mind and Monday morning get in that van or get in that airplane and fly off to preach somewhere and the devil would ride with me for hours and say, I'll destroy your son, I'll destroy your daughter. They'll never go to church. They'll be heathens. They'll die without God and go to hell. But unless they're lying to me, I remember the night when old Bubba called on the Lord. I got to be home that Monday night and man, he got saved that night and and works on our staff and thank God for good people that poured their life into his. And I remember the night I got the call, me and Dale Vance drove all night long because my baby girl wouldn't talk to nobody. She wouldn't talk to nobody but her daddy. She had a youth pastor and they, we had an assistant pastor, but she wanted to talk to daddy. And I'm glad they got a testimony. I'm glad they got saved. I'm glad my baby's got saved. And son, I've been a praying. I've been a fasting. I've been begging God. The God that saved me, the God that saved my precious wife, the God that saved my children. Honey, I'm longing for the day. Oh, Lord God, I'm longing for the day. Standing here one morning, somebody pull on my coattail and say, Granddaddy, I want to be saved. Brother, if you think I'm Baptistical now, you wait till God saves one of my grandyouns. We're going to knock it in high gear. I'm glad, ladies and gentlemen, our families don't have to die without God and go to hell. God's in the saving business tonight. He's in the saving business tonight. He's in the saving business tonight. That ark spoke of the presence of God. It spoke of the pardon of God. 
And then what happened when that ark would receive the blood and the mercy seat and between the cherubims, the Shekinah glory of God would come. And then the great high priest would walk out of the tabernacle and lift both hands and say, Shalom, my boy. Shalom, my brethren. That means what? Peace. Because that ark of God had brought peace to that house. Oh, man, I'm telling you tonight, isn't it wonderful that the peace of God that passeth all understanding, where Philippians said, well, keep your heart and mind. I'm glad it'll make a heaven out of your home. Peace. That doesn't mean you won't have problems. The devil hates the family. That's my last point in just a moment. But, man, there's going to be problems. There's going to be storms. There's going to be, here's a good word, challenges. Save families don't have arguments. We have challenges. You and your wife don't have disagreements. You have challenges. Son, you're looking like you're taking notes on every word I'm saying. Learn something, son. You're going to need it down the road. But aren't you glad the peace of God can come to your home? This morning I sat here and it was rainy outside. And boy, I tell you, we've all had a hard week, the devil fighting and pillaging around. But as soon as I walked through that door right there, came on this platform, when we began to sing the first song, I felt the peace of God. That was just an easiness in our soul. Friday night, when we was all here singing in the hymn sing, I could just feel the peace of God. The people had such a pleasant, peaceful look on their face. Like, And what I loved about it, all of those visitors, some had never even heard of our church, some had never even been to our church, they, they was enjoying it. They had the peace of God and the blessings of God. They were just sitting there glowing. And because the presence of the Lord brought such, the, such peace with God, I would remember being under deep conviction, the heavy weight of sin, under the condemnation of the broken laws of God. But when you trusted Christ as your Savior and you claimed the blood for your salvation, the sweet peace of God lifted that burden of sin and that was a calm in your life that you've never had before. And I'm glad the church can have that peace and the church can have that calm. But I've come to tell you tonight, your husband, your wife, your children, your family can live under the shadow and the blessing of the peace of God that passeth all understanding. May peace rest on our families and peace rest in our house. Because that ark simplified the presence of God, the pardon of God, the propitiation of God, the peace of God. It also represented the prosperity of God. God was going to meet the needs of that house if he was the Lord of that house. Did you not read in our text tonight where it said God blessed, God blessed Obed-Edom and all that was in his house. I don't know who started it, but some non-biblical preacher started it preaching the prosperity gospel, that you measure prosperity in riches. Absolutely not. Look at me tonight. If you have a roof over your head, 
and clothes on your back and food to eat. And your old family loving God and loving the Bible. You are blessed. Abundantly blessed. Wonderfully blessed. And I believe that home that honors God, God will be there meeting that need. Last week was on the subject of giving and building the home. I'm going to tell you something. I've never seen a Christian family. I've never seen a Christian family not have their needs met that honored God and walked with God and put God first and gave God a portion of their substance. I miss Harold Miller sitting there. Miss Miller, you miss him more than I do, but I used to love to hear him tell about when you and him got saved. And how y'all were so hungry for the word of God. And a man of God set Brother Miller and his wife down. And, and I, I used to try to say their names together. He was Horace and she was Doris. And I'd say, Julie, have you seen Doris and Horace lately? But that man of God set them down and showed them about tithing and giving. God was so gracious to their family. A man sitting behind me tonight right here, Brother Jerry Buffett, and his dad was an old-fashioned Baptist preacher from Gainesville, Georgia. Him and Wanda got married. I think Wanda was 10 and Jerry was 11 when they got married. They've been married 250 years. And he said one day his daddy, am I telling it right? One day his daddy pulled him off to the side and said, Jerry, I'm not trying to tend to your business, but I'm going to tell you why you're broke and you're always broke and you and your wife don't have a, two nickels to rub together. You're robbing God, Jerry. You're robbing God, Jerry. And Jerry, trust your daddy. Trust your daddy. Honor God, brother Jerry. Honor God, Jerry. Honor God, Jerry. And Jerry started honoring God and it wasn't long to God started honoring Jerry. I'm here you tonight, God will keep his promises. God will keep his word. And I don't know about you tonight, but I want the touch. I want the anointing. I want the presence. I want the prosperity. I want the blessing of God in my life, in our church. And I want it in my family. Because that ark. But in closing tonight in our text, there's something else that goes along with the ark. Not only pardon, propitiation, and peace and prosperity, and presence. But watch this now. Persecution. Persecution. Because the home that is dedicated to serve the Lord has a target on it. You say, well, the devil attacks some of these families that don't serve God. He don't have to. I had a young man say to me not long ago, Brother Joe, I don't understand that the devil didn't bother me before I got saved and became a Christian. He didn't have to. Right here in our text, when they brought the ark of the Lord back, now you died in the wool baptist. Don't stroke out on me. I'm just going to tell you what happened in this text. David had a spell. He started shouting, praising God, the Bible said he danced. I'm sorry. The Bible said he danced in the street. I mean, he starts publicly praising God. Why? Because God's back. The presence is back. The peace is back. The prosperity is back. The pardon, the perpetuation, everything it stands for. Hey, we're going to get blessed now because God is dwelling with us. 
And David is enjoying every minute of it. Praising God, shouting the victory, having himself a time. But he found out there's always somebody in your life that is not as excited about serving God as you are. And in David's situation, sad to say, it was his wife, the daughter of King Saul. David walked in and Brother Barry, she had that. And if you've been married to a female, any length at all, there is a certain look that says, wow. All you unmarried men tonight, meet us in the fellowship hall, and I'm going to get Jerry and some of these other guys to tell you what that looks like. She had that look. David said, what's wrong? You read the rest of this chapter. She lit in that man of God. She lit into him with accusations and disdain. I will tell you what she's more embarrassed about than anything. She wasn't embarrassed that David embarrassed himself. It embarrassed her because she's married to him. She, I mean, she cut him down. She said, you embarrassed us. You made yourself profane. She said, how did the king look today? Well, can't you just hear that old hand? How did the king look today? Do you realize when you got out there running around shouting and doing all you're doing, one of your thighs was exposed and you just embarrassed. Oh, you, you really look like a king today. Boy, she let him have it for praising God. And you know how much that upset David? He had to take a half a baby aspirin and a half a Malox. He looked at her and he said, old girl, I'm paraphrasing, but old girl, if you think it got on today, and if you think I embarrassed myself today and embarrassed you today, you wait till tomorrow. I'm going to praise him again. And I'm going to be more excited. And I'm going to turn the volume up. If you think today was a little example, you wait till tomorrow. Because you're not going to stop me and steal the joy and the blessing of my life. And I tell people all the time, if you got to go to church by yourself, go. If you have to serve God by yourself, go. If you have to do right by God by yourself, then do right. But you'll never be by yourself because he'll go with you and he'll anoint you and he'll bless you and he'll make it every, worth every mile of the trip. David began to get persecuted when God came to his house. And on day tonight, Satan's going to come against you, your family, your mind, Everything else. But you don't fight that battle alone. There's somebody with you. And he'll help you in the times of defeat. I made this statement five years ago and it's come back to haunt me. But five years ago I made this statement. One Sunday morning I wasn't a place to sit. And I made this statement. I said, listen to me. I said, if you think the devil is going to sit in hell and watch God bless this ministry and not raise up his demons and his forces of evil to try to hurt us. We all are naive and deceived. And you know how Satan has thrown rocks and set off atomic bombs and everything he's got. And he'll do that to the church. He'll do that to your mind. He'll do that to your family. But I want to say every battle, every conflict, every struggle is worth it all. 
when the peace of God that passeth all understanding kisses you with the dew of heaven. I wonder how many in this room tonight would think it's important to open up our hearts and say, God bless me with your blessing and your presence and your anointing. How many thinks tonight that we all open the doors of our church and say, Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place and And you're the Lord and you're the center of attraction and we love you and we praise you. And how many believe tonight the American family needs to build us an altar and open up our heart and say, God, money can't buy what we need and materialism can't give us what we need. But oh God, bless this house. Be the Lord of our house. May our house sing your praises. Believe your word. Work in your vineyard. God, may you be honored in my home just like you're honored at the church. I just believe tonight if a preacher or an individual or a church or a family make much of Jesus, Jesus will make much of them. Lord, you're welcome in my home. Lord, you're welcome in this church. Lord, you're welcome in our life. Because you know what Jesus said, without him we could do nothing. Nothing with an eternal value can be accomplished in a home, a church, a life, a family, an individual without that foundation being Christ. And aren't you glad tonight that our hope is built on nothing less? Each week, each staff member has taken a turn and written a little article on our theme. Brother Barry, the one you wrote on the foundation has blessed me over and over and over and over again. And I'm going to tell you what a stand the test of time and the winds of adversity. Your faith in God in this book right here is steadfast and sure and it's an anchor of the soul. Jesus Christ is Lord and I'm glad I know him tonight. I called Jerry Saturday morning. I said, Jerry, many, 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 many years ago as a little old boy, how many remember when used to have recitations. This is before rap ever came out. There would be gospel songs and they would have a story and somebody would recite it. Some of the greatest blessings I ever got was some of the old recitations. How, how, how many remember the old apple tree song? Well, what a blessing that was. I, I, I hadn't thought about this till the other day and my mind went back 40 years. And I remember the Gethsemane Quartet, Floyd and Penny Andrews. And I remember Uncle Floyd at our old building over there at Betty Talmadge doing this little recitation, if Jesus came to your house. I mean, if Jesus knocked on the door of your home in the morning at 8 o'clock and said, I want to spend some time with you. What would, do, what would we do? What would be our reaction? i tell you what old Bed Edoms was and David's was, come on in. So I called Jerry and I said, Jerry, I want you to do this recitation for me. And I want you to listen to every word of this. If Jesus came to your house. And when Brother Jerry gets through with this, I want us all to get in this altar in these aisles. And I want you to open up your heart. and Say, Lord, I want you. I want us to open the doors of this church and say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. 
I'm going to tell you something. God can do more through the Holy Ghost in five seconds than we can in 50 years in the energy of the flesh. And won't you open the door on your children, your grandchildren, your family, and say, God bless.